Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Hey, hey, we'll take it, we'll take it. Hill City, how's everybody doing? This is, this is crazy. There's a lot of people in here. Okay, okay. Only thing I guys, only thing I need guys, please, if you can give me some head nods or if something feels good to you, say some mm or amen, anything, it would really help me a lot. Um, as we're here today, as you said, my name is Trey Betts. I'm originally from Tulsa, Oklahoma. I am the creative resident here. So all things social media, fun, visionary, sermon series, getting to work on videos like that. It's really cool. It's really a privilege. I'm experiencing a lot of emotions today. One, um... Gladness, this is, I look down, this is my, my granny's Bible right here. And, uh, man, she was, um, that woman prayed so hard for me to be up here. And she's not here today. She passed from two years from cancer. Third, fifth graders, if you have a grandmother, give them a hug. Love them. I know she would be here. I know she's with me right now. She's heavy on my heart this morning. Whew. Okay, got that out of the way. Okay. Another thing I'm experiencing right now is just really just conviction. When you start reading the same passage over and over again for the next, for the last three weeks, the words, you stop reading the word and the word starts reading you. And you start realizing like, half of me is like, dang, I don't necessarily 100% believe what I'm about to teach all today. Like, not 100%. Like, I believe it, but I'm not living like I believe it. But the, but the freeing part of that situation is that he loved me so much to show me that, and now I can start walking in it as I be going today. So that's good. So before we get in, I want to create a framework, okay, about this statement. Everything God does and everything he intends to do has a purpose behind it. Like, there's a reason behind what he's saying. And so with that, I have, there's two questions that I should come to the Father and they are this. What does God want me to know? That's the first question. And on top of that, what does God want me to do? Okay? What does God want me to know? What does God want me to do? I'm going to tell you guys. First thing he wants you to know, that he loves you. God loves you. Second thing, what does he want me to do? Live like he does. Or live from his love, not for his love. That makes sense? So today... I don't want to use a sniper approach where we talk about love and I kind of bring every angle talking about love. Today I'm going to do more of a shotgun approach where I'm going to talk about the different ways his love is expressed. So don't feel the pressure of trying to like follow along. If something hits you, let it hit you. If it hits you, let it hit you. Okay? Um, in order to do that today, we're going to look at one of the most famous passages of all time, Psalm 23. I got a tattoo on me. It was my granny's favorite verse. I love this verse. And in this particular passage, we're going to see the word he, H-E, a lot. Like a lot. Like he does this. He does that. That he is God or the good shepherd. And so because of that, we're going to look at throughout this day for my note takers, seven he statements that get directly to the point. There will be seven he statements. Then after that, we're going to look at four ways to respond to those statements. Are we good? Are we on the same page? Okay. Let's get to work. If you guys wouldn't mind standing for the reading of the word, 
we stand and hoop and holler for Chiefs games, surely we can stand for the word of God. Amen? Amen. The word of the Lord, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of God for the people of God, and all God's people said, amen. You guys can be seated. You guys may be seated. A little background before we jump in. Okay, Psalms is said to be written by King David, a.k.a. a, God, a man after God's own heart. He was the king of Israel, third and first. Third and fifth graders, have you guys heard of David versus Goliath? Yes, yes, this is who wrote this psalm. Okay, this psalm teaches us that David and God were really close. Okay, they had a tight relationship. So that means God is a God of relationship. He's a relational God that desires to be in relationship with us. Now, most relationships are mutually beneficial, or every party gets benefits equally. You get something, I get something. I get something, you get something. Our relationship with God isn't necessarily like that. We're under something that's called a covenant or an agreement relationship. This covenant relationship is where God is committed to us even when we aren't committed back to him. He is the God who keeps loving us even though we don't keep loving him. He loves the best of me and the worst of me without changing how he deals with me. This is covenant love, okay? These last few weeks, we've talked about hope, Jesus being the light of the world, peace, the way, the truth, and the life, joy, abiding in joy, the true vine. Today, a word to sum up what we talked about, that covenant love is love. That's what I want you guys to be thinking about when you hear this phrase, I am the good shepherd. And this is important, and it'd be malpractice not to say this. Shepherds have sheep. Okay? Shepherds have sheep. So this love that we're going to discuss is only within the context of a sheep, a.k.a. people who are following Jesus. So I have to say, when you hear this, if you're not following Jesus, this love that I'm talking about does not apply to you yet. My hope is that once you taste and see that the Lord is good, you won't want to go back to your old way of living. You want to have this type of love that we're talking about. That's my hope and my prayer today. So, like I said, relationships have roles. So let's look at it first. Psalm 23, first thing it says, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. Let's stop right there. Right off the bat, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. So what does that mean? I'm not. If the Lord is my shepherd, that means I'm not. That's important to know because shepherds have a responsibility or a weight that is only governed for the shepherd. It's only the responsibility for the shepherd. What's that weight called? I shall not be in want. It is the shepherd's job to make sure the sheep don't live out of place of want or independence from the shepherd. 
So the question is, is God my shepherd or am I my shepherd? Because when I'm my shepherd, I'm going to be honest, guys, I have a lot of wants. I want a lot of things. I live from a place of want all the time. There's never a time I'm not wanting the next big thing and the next big thing. And what that looks like, anxiety. Because if God's not protecting me, who got to protect me? Me. If God's not loving me, supporting me, that means I have to do it for myself. And I'm living from a place of anxiety, and I'm carrying a weight that I was not meant to carry from the get-go because God is my shepherd, and I'm not. So what does he do because he's a loving father? Next line. He makes me lie down in green pasture, and he leads me beside still water. Now, one thing a little about Hill City that we say a lot, we have to go back to their town to see what words meant. So I don't know what a shepherd is. I'm from Tulsa, Oklahoma. I don't know what a shepherd is. So I had to go back and do some shepherd one-on-one to see what the shepherd did. A shepherd's job was broken up into two main categories. One of the main things he had to make sure his sheep had something to eat and his sheep had something to drink. Now, sheep would eat from these things called pastures, okay? Now, when I first read this, I thought it was like this wide, open field of grass that they would eat from. This passage isn't particularly talking about that because the amount of pasture was based on the type of season that they was in. There would be a dry season, and there would be rainy season. In this context, a dry season, there would be all these patches kind of grass everywhere, and the shepherd had to lead his sheep to these patches because he knew that if the sheep didn't eat from the grass in time, they would get hungry and try to find something somewhere else. And that's a whole, that's a whole other sermon right there. That's a whole other sermon right there. So here's his statement number one. Y'all ready? He can use the little things. I said he can use the little things. In a dry season, when you have something that you feel is little, what's little to you don't mean it's little to God. God can use every single little thing in your life to, for a plan and for a purpose that he has for you. So my response should be, I want you guys to say this with me. All I have, I say, all I have is all he needs. All I have is all he needs. So what's my role in all this? It's real deep. Get ready. It's real deep. It's, it's super, super philosophical, theological. Lay down. Lay down. All I have to do is lay down and know that God wants me to lie down. Now, this is tough for me, okay? As a leader, I don't have the fundamental belief that God wants me to lay down and be with him. I think he wants me to lay down, get energy so I can get up and go do what he's called me to do, to go perform, to go move around. So this is even wrecking my heart as I sit here and think about this. So something I have to literally tell myself over and over and over is God gave me enough for today. God gave me enough for today. Trey, how much you got enough for today? Trey, what about enough for today? What about tomorrow? I'm not worried about tomorrow. That's his job. But I do know I got enough for today. Does that make sense? Let's go to the next point. So let's go. Shepherd 101, let's go back. Now, the other job of the shepherd was to make sure his sheep had something to drink. And this is funny. Sheep don't drink from rushing water or flows of water. They would only drink from water that was really quiet and really still. 
So a shepherd had to lead them to still and quiet water. He, statement number two, he knows what I need when I need it. He knows what I need when I need it. I realize I don't believe that that much either. I played football at Missouri State, and you get the privilege of playing on Saturday nights, and the, the band's playing, everybody's getting hyped, the Bears are coming out, fans, and you're loose, used to playing these big crowds and these big moments. And I put that on God. Like, it gets to the point where I only feel like I'm with God or feeling God when I'm in the big moments, when, when I have things rushing and rushing in my life. So what do I do? I rush and I rush, and I rush. And it causes, me, it causes me to believe that in order to be with God, I have to be extraordinary. Like God doesn't live in the ordinary. But God sees that, and what I've been learning, he's like, Trey, I'm leading you to this water, to this quiet water, because I just want to sit with you. I just want to sit with you. You don't have to do anything to prove your love for me. You don't have to perform you don't have to move. You don't have to do these big things. I love you because you're my child. That's it. I love you because you're my child. And one of the best things that God said to me in this time through my friend Rob Loney was this. You are doing the best you can with what you have. And there's somebody, there's a mother in here who's worried about her child. There's a college student who's worried about next semester. There's somebody in here struggling with the idea of, am I enough? Or, God, am I doing enough for you? And I want to say to you what somebody said to me in that time, and it just released over my body. You're doing the best you can with what you have. God knows how to, next line, restore my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. And I'm I'm laughing because I'm thinking about if I want to go here, but I have to go here. That phrase... That phrase, right path, can be translated as abundance or prosperity. Now, I know somebody's stomach just dropped to their chest. Is he really about to go there? Yes, I'm really about to go there. He's statement number three. He is a giver of good gifts. He is a giver of good gifts. Now, I don't, I don't want to get into a debate over the fact, does God give you material versus non-material things? Because I don't think that's the point of the passage. However, however, I do believe that God desires for us to live from a place of abundance and not for the abundance of ourselves. But that's not the point either. The point is his name's sake. It's his name, not my name. Not my name, his name. Say that with me. Not my name, his name. Not my name. His name. What that means is God's gifts that he chooses to give are, one, defined by God, and two, are given because God is good, not because I did anything to deserve them. And here's the catch. Here's the kicker. Just because you got a car, a house, a dog, two kids, a fence, a boat, a lot, a mansion, does not mean it came from God because that house could be feeding your ego. But on the other side, just because we pray and go to Bible study every week and pray for the homeless and do all that stuff, don't mean we're going to have more peace because that's based off of our name. It's not our name. It's his name. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, 
And it is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. So what's my role in all of this? When God gives us a good gift, our role is simple. Open it. Open the gift. Now, there's some type of, I want to call it toxic, okay? You have, it's, it's, it's one side of people say, if I pray more, if I read my Bible, if I go to church, if I bless my friend, if I go to coffee with people, then God's going to give me more things. And that's where our prosperity gospel went left because you're basing it off of your name. God doesn't give you stuff off your name. But let's go on this side. There's a whole other side, okay, where it doesn't specifically say that God will give me this in the Bible, so I'm not going to ask for it. And I think that's just as toxic. We, we almost call that humble. And it sometimes it's really not humble because it might be shame because I know me. I know that I fall short all the time, and I don't want God to give me good gifts because it reinforces how bad I really am sometimes. So I won't ask him for something good because I'm basing it off of my name, and all I'm saying is that ain't got nothing to do with God. God is a good giver of good gifts because he's good. I can't not open the gift he wants to give me because I don't feel like I deserve it. That's irrational. In order to be a, in order to be a giver of good gifts, you have to give good gifts. It ain't got nothing to do with me. Because God does not give you stuff based on your performance. He is the God who gives you something that you don't deserve. We call that grace. But we also have a God who, 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 who doesn't give us something that we do deserve. For the wages of sin was death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He gave us his life. We gave him our sin. He gave us his life. Let's go to the next passage. Now, this is funny because I come from a half Pentecostal, half Baptist, half Methodist background <laughs> where, where, the, where, the, where the preacher would hear this verse and it would be like his point of sermon. Yay, I walk <laughs> through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear. No evil, because God is with me. Your staff, your rod, they comfort me. So let's go shepherd 101. Let's go back to shepherd 101. There's two terms in here that I did not know as well, a rod and a staff, okay? A staff was primarily used to count, primarily used to count sheep with. Sheep were very important back, that, back then in that society, and it was important that a sheep didn't get hurt because they were responsible for clues, Clues, clothes, food, environment. It's very big to, the, to that society back then. And so if a sheep ever went away from the pack and they would go and get hurt, the shepherd would use the staff to pull the sheep out of harm. And if at times when the sheep couldn't move, us, the shepherd would literally pick up the sheep and carry it out back to the 99. He statement number four. He will carry you before he leaves you. He will carry you before he leaves you. I can't help but think of Katie Exner, Mama Katie. She's on staff. We love Mama Katie. She has two beautiful sons named Benton and Sawyer. And everybody sees Katie and they're like, oh, my God, she's so nice. I love her. Let me tell you all something. <laughs> if you mess with Katie's kids, she will eat you. 
She does not play around about her kids. And that's why I think about God. God does not play with his kids. If you mess with him, his kids, you mess with him. That's how God is. He will carry you if he needs to. Let's go back to Shepherd 101. Rod, okay? A rod was primarily used to fight off any enemies or any animals that were attacking the sheep. And it was like this long stick that had some nails sticking on the end of it. And the shepherd would literally foul, hit anything that came towards the shepherd, the sheep, sorry. He statement number five. He will fight for you in times of danger. He statement number five. He will fight for you in times of danger. Now, I need to be clear to make sure I'm not saying what it could sound like. I am not saying that God's protection means that we're going to be free of suffering. Because that wouldn't be true. But I am saying that God does the protecting. And sometimes that protecting could look like community. Because if you're in a community, you have people to keep you accountable to what you say you're going to do. Sometimes protection could look like wisdom. There's this old smooth guy named Frenchie. I meet with Frenchie every single Tuesday because he got something called wisdom. I need wisdom. That's way for protection. Sometimes that protection looks like frustration. Now, I don't know about you guys. God, God uses frustration. He uses things to me to frustrate me so that I do something about it. Like, he will poke and poke and poke. You don't see something wrong with this? Yeah, you, go fix it. You, go do something. I'm sending you to go fix that thing. He will use frustration to help manifest what his protection is. And sometimes that protection looks like this. No. I don't know about you, but I don't like when God tells me no. Like, no, you can't date him. Oh, you mean like, I can't date him right? No, you can't date him, period. (laughs) No. Sometimes that protection looks like no. But here's the confidence. In the valley, I can walk through it with this mindset. You mess with God, you mess with me, then you mess with God. Okay? But here's the other side of that. I still got to walk through the valley. I still have to walk through the valley. In other words, let me say like this. The information that I'm reading about is eventually going to require my participation. It does not say, yea, I read through the valley of shadow of death. It says, yea, I walk through the valley of shadow of death. And let me say it this way. Who wrote Psalm 23? David. But when David wrote Psalm 23, he wrote it after the fact. Like when David was a shepherd, he was the actual shepherd back then, shepherd boy. Psalm, Psalm 23 didn't exist in that time. He had to participate in Psalm 23 with his life. And he talked about it afterwards. Like he was actually fighting lions. Lions. Like I don't know about y'all, if a lion walked through that door right there, I'm telling y'all I'm going to be gone. A lion. <laughs> a lion. And to be honest, this is the part I struggle with most of the week. Because I don't like this part of the passage. I don't, my biggest fear is the fear of being powerless or controlled or like I don't have any say-so in what happens to my physical being. Like that's my biggest, deepest fear. So to me, when I hear that he's with me in the valley, I'm honestly upset. Because my heart is, and I'm going to be transparent, my heart at times is like, you see me down here struggling. You see me down here hurting and suffering and pain. 
and you with me, apparently, and you're not getting me out of the situation, that don't feel like love. That don't feel like protection. It doesn't feel like love. It doesn't feel like protection. And then God has a funny way of shifting my mindset. He said, Trey, this is how me and God talk. He said, Trey. I said, yes, God. He said, I said I'm with you in the valley, right? I said, yeah. Okay. And earlier I said that when you're in danger, I will protect you, right? I said, yes. I said, okay. So if you are in the valley and I'm standing right next to you in the valley and I ain't came and got you yet in the valley, what does that say about your valley? It might say you might not be in danger like you think you are. I might be trying to use this valley to show you something about you don't even know is there. I might be trying to use this valley to show you that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Because until you are under a place where you're vulnerable and fearful and don't have any protection, you're not going to understand what God's protection feels like. He has to put us in those situations. And all I'm saying is, you cannot get to your valley and think because you read something that David participated in that is yours. This is, this is something that David participated in with your life. And it, it, I don't know about you, I have the illusion where I think because I understand God's love and his obedience when he calls me to do that, because I'm reading it conceptually, that I'm living it out. And that's not the case. Because a situation comes up or life comes up when I need him and I fold because it's not really something that I believe or manifest. There's a story literally in Acts 19 where Paul's disciples went out to go cast out demons. And they walked up to the demon and said, Demon, in the name of the Lord who Paul preaches, track, track, demon, in the name of the Lord who Paul preaches, why didn't it say who I preach? In the name of the Lord who Paul preaches, I command you to come out. And the demon literally said, but you got, this is funny. The Bible is not born, by the way. The Bible is not born. The demon says, looks back at the disciples and he says, okay, Jesus, I know him. Paul, I know him. But who are you? He says, Jesus, I know. He's participated in some stuff. He, he died for our sins. I know him. Paul, I know him too because he wrote two-thirds of the Bible. Like, I know him. But who are you? I don't know you. Who are you? And all I'm saying is, I don't want to ever be in a situation when life comes at me and I don't have enough rooted, faithful revelation of God is good, that he will protect me, that I've lived through it, that I know. Because sometimes you got to know that you know that you know that God is with you and he is for you and he will protect you. Because life is going to test you. It's going to test that. Next point. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. He statement number six. He blesses us to be a blessing to others. He blesses us to be a blessing to others. Now, context is key in this because I have literally used this verse as the international shout out to all my haters verse. Like anybody who wanted to hate on me, hate on my table, say I couldn't do this, do that, God is going to show you that you were wrong about me. 
Because I'm from, I'm from Tulsa, Oklahoma, like I said. My mother had me at 19. My daddy had me at 20. Statistically, in the black community, that's, that is not good. That's not good. Statistically, I should not even be up on this stage. And I was doubted time after time in football and sports, too little, too small. So I, I would literally use this verse as motivation, that God's going to prepare this table whether he wants me to or not. And I would use it, and when I get there, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to stunt on everybody who tries to say something about me. <laughs> That's just how I looked at it. All the people wanted to hurt me and label me. Side note, third and fifth graders, kids, don't ever let nobody label you and tell you who you are. They don't get to tell you who they are because they, they didn't make you. God made you. He made you. He says who you are. And who he says you are, you are. Live from that place. How do I know that? Because the text says it. He anoints my head with oil. Now let's go back a little bit to Shepherd 101. Okay? Oil was primarily used for a sheep to be, one, protected, like a shepherd would market sheep with oil so they know they're protected, and also to separate the sheep for the shepherd. Another term or another definition of anointing can also mean God's favor or authority on your life, your talents, or your giftings. It's that thing that you can naturally just do really well, but you don't know how you can do it really well. You just have a, it just comes, it just flows. It's, it's that moment when two people sing the same song, and for whatever reason, one person sang it one way, and it was kind of, and the other person sang it, and he was like, ooh, I felt that in my sp- anointing. That's what, that, that's what that is. That's what it is. And so when I go back to this text, in other words, God is saying, you are my child. I did not give you that anointing so that you can stunt on people. I gave that anointing. I prepared that table because the table is not about you. It's bigger than you. I'm trying to show your enemies that the same God who did this for you in your life is the same God who wants to do it for them. But if you get in this table, you start stunting trying to flex on people and use me to get back at people. You're not representing me. That's not my name. I don't do that. I don't do that. That's not what Aaron said. That's not the light of the world. That, that isn't what hope looked like. That's not what Trey Vile said. That's not peace. I did not have you go through all that suffering so you could stunt. That's not joy. That's not abiding in joy. You should not get joy when you're winning, but you had to destroy a whole bunch of lives to get there. That's not joy. That doesn't represent me. The table is bigger than you. Next line here, my cup overflows. I'm not overflowing your cup just for you. I feel like God's saying, I'm blessing you so you can be a blessing to others. I'm blessing you so that your enemies can know that I did this for you. I'm blessing you because there is a generational curse that I want you to break not so you can try to convince your family and the people who are non-believers that God has his hands in your life and you want to do really good with this faith thing so you can tell them that they were wrong. That's not what I bless you for. I'm using your story of, of redemption because there's somebody who feels like they're disqualified from my love and I need you to be the example that nothing can separate them from my love. Now here's something, here's another thing that's kind of toxic that I've also realized with this blessing anointing thing that it's, it's very hard to receive a good gift or to receive your cup overflowing when your believers around you could be suffering. Like, 
it's like when you get that promotion or you, you and your friends are all working hard towards the same goal and it happens to work out for you and doesn't work out for them, there's this wrestling where I don't want to give God the gratefulness and the thankfulness and the glory for my appreciation for his gift because I'm afraid to offend somebody. So I will literally shrink myself into this box and try to stay here to make everyone around me feel comfortable. Like I won't step into the anointing that God has for me in my life. And God's not calling me to do that because it's not about me. He needs someone somewhere is counting on you. If I would have listened to all the voices and all the things that didn't allow me to step into my calling, there be there are so many people that I wouldn't be able that God wouldn't be able to bless because I didn't step into my calling. My sisters, my my brothers, my teammates. I remember Cross Elmquist came up to me when we were praying and he said, Trey, you don't even know this about you, but I've been watching you and I thank you so much for doing this because it gives me motivation coming from a place that you came from. I wouldn't have even know that was a thing. That's why God overflows our cup so we can overflow into other people. Last verse. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He statement number seven. He wants to live from his love. He wants us to live from his love. Now, the part that jumps out to me here in this text is surely. Surely is a confident statement. It's a, it's a faith-filled statement. And I don't always believe that all the time. Okay, my situation doesn't always align. Because here's the deal. I've been up here for the past 25 to 30 minutes telling you that God is good. And if you're like me when I was in that position, you're saying, Trey, I hear you, but my mother is sick. Or I, I hear you saying God's good, but my marriage is in shambles. My kids are acting crazy. I'm getting bullied at school. Like, I hear you say that God is good, but my reality doesn't match that. I have four quick responses to that to encourage you, and then we'll head out. First one is Remember. They all start with R. I'm that, I'm that guy. They all start with R. First one is remember. What happened, let's look back. What happened the last time you felt how you felt or you were in a similar situation when your reality didn't meet up with the truth? Did God not show up that time? Did he not show up that time? The reason why sometimes I'm in awe because I remember when I look at my wife now, I, it's almost hard for me to really accept because I remember who I was in Missouri State acting the fool, thinking, who, thinking I was the best thing, walking up and down. I remember that place. I remember how far God has brought me. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is when David's about to go fight Goliath and King Saul asked David, he says, David, how do you even know you're going to beat Goliath? And David said back to Saul, he said, when I was a shepherd boy, I had to fight off lions and tigers and bears. And the same God who did it for me then is the same God who's going to be with me now. He was able to pull strength from his memory. And I came to serve notice of somebody, the devil is after your memory. Because he knows if you can't remember the things that God has done for you, not even like yesterday, I'm talking about this morning, you can't live from that place. Number two, release. Now, I, I need to step away from the passage because 
I'm about to step on people's pain or talk about people's pain. Like these are real life stories and it's something that people are really struggling with. I want you to hear my heart. Give me grace as I say this. Sometimes we have to release our definition or, or our expectation of what good means or what God loves me. Because here's the thing. If good looks like if I have a husband or if I have a marriage, what happens when I don't have a marriage? If good looks like God gives me this next job or this next promotion and I don't get it, what happens to God's goodness? My view is distorted. Because the reality is there are people in here who are hurting. There are people in here who have gone through terrible things, divorce, miscarriages, things of that nature. And I have to, in that moment, it's easy for me for my pain because it's real. It hurts. It's hurting. I would never choose to go through something like this if I had the choice. It hurts. But even in that moment, I have to know or rest with the question, is God still good? I say that he is. And in, in any situation that you're in that's like that, when you're ready to step out of that pain, God is ready to reveal himself to you so you can release your definition and grab on to his definition. Third thing, resist. Anything that, any thought, anything, any word, any speech that is over you that is not aligned with the scripture is a lie. If it doesn't sound like God, if it doesn't talk like God, it's a lie. I've gotten to the point to where I started to realize how negative, negatively I talk. Like, I don't talk like I have faith. I second guess myself. I say I'm bad. God never, first of all, I know I'm a sinner, but God never said I was bad. He calls me beloved, but I'm calling myself bad. He says he loves me, but I'm not accepting that. I have to, I have to learn to resist how I talk and resist anything that's not biblical and what God wants me to live from. Resist. The fourth thing is reach. In other words, surrender. Whatever situation that we're going through, and there's a ton of situations, it's really easy to hold on to all that emotion, hold on to all that pain, all that hurt. But God calls us as believers. He wants us to know that he's a good shepherd, that he loves us. And all we have to do is reach for him. And we can do that because he first reached out to us. The gospel says this. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. The part that really gets me is laid down his life. We follow Jesus with the one hope of one day being with him for eternity. He was already with God. Like his life was in the presence of God at all times. And he came down here 
He came down here from that life to live a perfect life, to die for the sins that he did not even commit. He rose again, defeating death once for all, ascending to heaven. He's the right hand of God the Father, and his spirit is right now living with us. That is the gospel. So what's my role? If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and hear their land. In other words, believe. Believe that God loves you, that he is for you, that he wants you to live from a place of his love and not for his love. Let's pray.